Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 264 is with Trevor Aronson from the podcast Alphabet Boys. Are you really making soup, Trevor? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the soup king, man. That's, that's what I picked up during the lockdown. I, I, I discovered that kitchen and I love to make soup. That's a good talent to have. <laughs> it's it, you know, I, and it, I mean, I want to have a food truck, but I want to have different soups every day. And people go, "You're a failure, then, dude." You got people don't want to have new every day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, what the heck were you eating when you came up with this idea for Alphabet Boys? Because this, this to me, is taking journalism to a completely different level. Yeah. So what we're trying to do with Alphabet Boys is really marry, you know, the 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 classics, um, the classic investigative reporting with um, narrative storytelling. So we tell the story of a single case over a, over one season. So it, over 10 episodes, we tell the story of a single FBI, DEA, or ATF case. And what we're really focusing on are the our access to undercover recordings. We, we have um, the FBI or DEA recordings that we then use to tell the story. And we try to take a, we try to cast a critical eye on a number of these cases to, to really raise this question of whether these federal agencies using undercover sting operations are stopping criminals and stopping crime mm -hmm. or whether they are essentially creating criminals and creating crime. Well, see, I've always believed that part right there. And everybody goes, no, that's just a conspiracy. I'm going, no, they want the attention. They want something. And, and I've always looked at it as being, let's create a criminal so that we can get more money coming our way because we're going to we're going to be the super dogs here and make this thing work. You know, that's that's exactly it. What ends up happening is, you know, federal law enforcement is really measured by the metrics of traditional local law enforcement, right? Like you're funded based on how many arrests you make, how many prosecutions you have. And so there's a direct incentive for the FBI and other federal law enforcement agencies to use these types of undercover stings that that essentially entrap people, but then they can, you know, announce to the public and announce to Congress this this big bust that was made. And we saw that a lot during the post 9-11 era where the FBI infiltrated Muslim communities using informants mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then put together terrorism plots that likely wouldn't have existed were it not for the FBI providing the means, the opportunity, and even the weapons, the fake weapons that were used as as part of the plot. And and what we see now is is these this type of tactic being used uh, by a lot of these these agencies to essentially manufacture crimes. And so the first season that we focus on in Alphabet Boys is about this FBI informant who is a a a, a, a violent felon who'd been convicted of sexual assault and menacing with a weapon. He gets recruited by the FBI, paid thousands of dollars every few weeks to infiltrate the racial justice movement in Denver during the summer of 2020. He's this cartoonish man who <laughs> dresses as a military style fatigues and drives a hearse and basically was going up to the protests, trying to entice activists into committing crimes into you know, moving forward in violent plots. At the same time, he was accusing the leaders of these um, protest movements of being informants, you know, you know, creating kind of the shades of 60s style COINTELPRO from the FBI, where a similar abuse happened when the FBI was investigating the Black Panthers and other groups. You know, what we saw in this case in summer of 2020 that we focus on in the first season is that the FBI was basically trying to turn otherwise peaceful protesters into potentially violent criminals through the use of this very aggressive undercover tactic. I'm glad you brought it up that way because I remember reading a story from the Dalai Lama when he visited the United States during the Vietnam protests. He he was so shocked by our actions and reactions here in the States because he, in his heart, protest means peace. What, what I thought you guys were fighting for peace. 
Yeah, you know, there's a long history in this country, obviously, of the federal government being quite, um, you know, quite concerned about mass demonstrations and movements. We saw that during the civil rights era and the FBI's reaction to it. And then we had the church committee and the church committee exposed all of these abuses. And this was supposed to be a dark chapter in American history that doesn't happen any longer. And I think what we've seen happen over the last 20 years is that a lot of the powers that had been dialed back uh, as a result of the church committee uh, were then given back to the FBI and other law enforcement agencies in the post 9-11 era in the in the pursuit of, of possible terrorists. And now 20 years after 9-11, all of those powers still exist within the federal agencies and they are they are using them in ways that were not intended and we're using them in ways that are kind of more similar to how we saw them used during the 1960s. So are you locating some uh, very secretive rules in the way that I know that here in North Carolina, if I were to go into a conversation and I knowingly know that I'm recording that conversation, that's legal. But I mean, are, you, are is that what you mean by the secret tapes and things like that? Is that that as long as one person knows that it's being recorded, we can move ahead and, and save everything that we come in contact with? So the, the, those types of recording laws vary by state. You yes. know, some states it's just yep. one one party, in other states it's two party. But in this particular case, the FBI, as a, as a law enforcement agency, is is recording these conversations no matter the state. It happens they're they're doing it under the the guise of law enforcement investigation. And so the recordings that we use in Alphabet Boys are the ones that are created by the undercover agent or the informant. So they're basically wearing a wire. And they're going in and in, 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 in talking to people. And these recordings are then used as evidence later or put into an FBI file. And so our goal is to try to reveal what's happening in these cases through the use of these undercover recordings. And so the way we tell Alphabet Boys is to, to tell it as a narrative, to tell it as a single story mm-hmm. told over 10 episodes. But a big part of that is allowing listeners to kind of be in the room as this investigation is happening and hear the undercover recordings and the people talking. Um, and so that's really kind of the key to our storytelling technique is to not only show what was happening, but then to allow listeners to be able to listen directly to these recordings and make a judgment for themselves as to whether they think, you know, what's happening is legitimate um, and necessary or whether it's an abuse of power by an, an, an agency like the FBI. Well, this well, listeners need to understand that this is what I call a best friend podcast in the way that you get in the car when you're driving to work and you turn this on and you'll be at work in the in the blink of an eye. And and that's the thing about it is that you take us to a place where we're, we're, we're so drawn into the story that it's like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm one of the members here. That's what we're trying to do. You know, we're, we're, I think some of the best journalism that can be done is where you reveal something, but you do it in a way that's told in a story and yep. told in a way that you feel entertained, right? I mean, humans are this way, right? That we're all driven by stories. And so that's really what we're trying to do in Alphabet Boys is reveal what we think are critically important um, accountability issues with federal law enforcement, but do it in a way that you can listen to the show and, and find it enjoyable. And there's a certain voyeuristic aspect to it that you're, you feel like you're listening to these secret recordings because essentially you are. In, in this case, we're revealing these recordings for the first time. These were recordings that were made by federal law enforcement agents that they didn't anticipate would be on the radio or on a podcast. And so we're, we're trying to bring people into this world that seems very secretive and for many for many reasons is. Well, you, we're, we're supposed to be afraid of them. If, if, if we see someone with FBI on their shirt or DEA or ATF, we're supposed to be going, oh, my God, back it down, back it down. But I, I, things have changed uh, since the lockdown and, and since the things that have happened around the country in the past two to three years. Years. I, I, you know, I've been covering the FBI now for a little over 15 years. And, you know, for a long period of that time, there had been an unwillingness to criticize these federal agencies. You know, the FBI has done a very good job throughout 
its history of crafting this image through media and movies of being this faultless agency, this perfect agency. And I think that's really persisted in American culture. But in recent years, I think there has become a, a, a higher degree of cynicism, a higher degree of skepticism regarding federal law enforcement. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think obviously there's a there's a purpose for federal law enforcement. I'm not you know saying we should abolish the police or abolish federal law enforcement. But I think what we need is to recognize is that these are agencies with hugely powerful yeah. uh, powers and that these powers need to be checked kept in check through a greater level of accountability in Congress and elsewhere than we see. And so we also see Alphabet Boys as very much a way of kind of keeping these agencies more accountable by revealing exactly what they're doing in these cases. Why Denver and not Portland or Seattle, you know, because of Antifa and and, and people like that? So our, our, our theory, and I think it's a reasonable one to have, is that um, this happened in cities across the country in the summer of 2020. Yeah. Um, Denver is just the one that we have the first behind the scenes look at through the use of these recordings. And so our hope is that by revealing what happened in Denver, you know, we may get more information about how these tactics were used in other cities. Dude, it happened in Charlotte. I mean, and, and it went on for several nights. And, and I, you know, we weren't used to this kind of stuff. And and so and then you go down there in the aftermath of it. I think that was more haunting than, than physically reading about it as it was happening in real time. You know, what we saw in Denver was that the FBI informant had become a, a leader of the movement and was actually encouraging a lot of these protests that became violent. Oh, and, you know, we saw that kind of violence in cities across the country, as you said, in Charlotte as well. And I think the question that we raise in, in Alphabet Boys with the Denver cases, to what degree did government infiltrators play a role in encouraging the violence? I mean, obviously a good degree of the violence was spontaneous. You can't blame all of this on government infiltrators, right. but you know, just a couple of informants in a group can really change the tenor of what's happening. And I, I think the question is like, in what other cities did it did, did what happened in Denver occur where an informant was encouraging the type of violence and destruction that we saw that summer and you know the the insidious tactics that the the FBI was using as part of that yeah there's there's many times in, in the first two podcasts that that I sat there and I thought of my own city while it was playing out I kept going oh is this is what is this what was taking place oh my god what happens if it was what should I be taking notes here what am I going to watch for the next time yeah I, you know I think that's that's always something to be aware of in, in any of these these situations, right? We've seen FBI, the FBI and other law enforcement agents take on roles that are outside what you think of as the traditional bounds of law enforcement. You know, in the post 9-11 era, the FBI uh, became as much of an intelligence agency as it did a law enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. And and what we're seeing in Denver is that the, the FBI informant was not only doing all of the things we've talked about, but he was also providing information back to the FBI um, about protesters, their names, their their brief biographies, who they were associating with, even though these protesters did not commit crimes, had not been accused of crimes, and they're basically just building intelligence files on Americans who are exercising their First Amendment rights. And and I think that should be seen be seen as troubling to Americans as well. That you know there is a question. Uh, about how the FBI is collecting information about Americans who are not suspected of crimes. Again, another example of how post 9-11 powers intended to stop terrorists, you know, have remained in the FBI's, uh, you know, arsenal and are now being used in ways that were not necessarily intended. You you put some depth into the storyline when when Michael and Adam returned to Denver uh, after after fighting ISIS. I mean, this right here is like it's like trying to get into the mind of someone who who saw destruction before they even entered destruction in their own country. So it's a lot of the informants that are are recruited by the FBI are not 
good people, right? They're not choir right. boys. And, right. and what, what the FBI will say is like, <laughs> if, if you want to catch the devil, you have to go to hell, right? And what they mean is like, you can't use, you know, this button down guy as your informant. If you're going to you know, have an informant infiltrate criminal groups, he needs to be a criminal himself. You know, he's got to do criminal things. And so what we see often is that these informants that are recruited by the FBI have very, very checkered past and have past that suggest maybe they aren't the most credible. And then at the same time, they're being incentivized to find criminals because the FBI is paying them thousands of dollars. And if they don't find criminals, then they're they're um, not going to make money. And so in the case in Denver, this guy, Mickey Windecker, you know, had this background where he'd been a volunteer, volunteer fighter for the Peshmerga. Um, there were certainly questions about his previous work as a police cooperator. But because of his felony record, is in a position where his employment prospects aren't the best. And here's the FBI basically saying, hey, if you help us entrap these protesters, we'll pay you a lot of money. <laughs> and so that creates an, a perverse incentive for someone like that to create crimes. And that's what we see in a lot of these cases, that the informant will push people along, even drag them across the line, because they know that if they do that, they have a lot of money to make. And so the incentives in place aren't necessarily justice, right? The, the incentive isn't justice. The incentive is this informant wants to be paid, so he's going to do things to move this case along. At the same time, the FBI and the FBI agent knows if he builds a case, it means promotions, it means raises. And so there are a number of really perverse incentives that are built into the system that create situations where the FBI is really essentially entrapping people in order to build cases. Let's dig a little bit deeper here in the way that, because I, I'm, I'm one, once again, I'm one of those people that st- I'm a sideline qu- uh, quarterback kind of guy, but here, here's the thing. I've always believed that the informants or somebody goes in and they, co- they convince the local politicians, you got to come down, just be, da- be down here, be seen. And that also adds to the fire. For sure. You know, what, what we see is informants acting in, in all sorts of ways, right? They will, you know, what we saw in Denver was that the, the informant, Mickey Windecker, was specifically encouraging people to come out to events that he had a good reason to believe would turn violent and was encouraging encouraging violence, right? So, you know, there is a question, you know, traditionally the use of informants would, uh, would be that you would have a criminal organization and that you use an informant to find out what's going on, kind of like a Johnny Brasco style mafia mm-hmm. investigation. Mm-hmm. And there's a place for that, right? But the problem becomes when the FBI informant becomes an integral part of whatever criminal conspiracy is going on, is is necessary to the criminal conspiracy happening. And so what we're seeing in a lot of these cases is that the FBI informant or undercover agent is so critical to the plot that the plot wouldn't happen were it not for the FBI informant or undercover agent. And so that raises questions of whether the FBI is essentially creating this crime instead of stopping it. All right, from one podcaster to another here, because uh, you know that we both have a sense of freedom now that we that we've longed for our entire careers. Could you ever step back into a terrestrialized kind of journalism, radio, or television world and 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 be trapped in in that cubicle doing little stories? No, so I mean, I, I, I really, I, yeah, I, I really, uh, I've been really, uh, it's I've been really fortunate in the sense that I've been able to work on these long term projects like this, and you know, I think they're incredibly important. Uh, to, to do. And, you know, one of the things that's happened is there's been a huge upheaval in journalism. You know, some of that has been bad, but I think some of that has been good. We yeah. have, we have new, we have new ways of telling stories, podcast series being one of them. And I think, you know, the more we can use these uh, ways to get independent journalism out, the, the better. And I think, you know, this kind of project is, you know, I think incredibly important, but I also think it's a, it's an example of how journalism and the market for journalism are changing that we're seeing, you know, 
classical investigative reporting being done in a podcast series, whereas more traditionally that would have been done in a newspaper or a magazine. Right. right. So in future episodes, maybe season two or season three, will the Alphabet Boys include the IRS? It could. We, 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 we only have, uh, we've, we've got seasons one and two in the works Good now. Season you. one is out now and season two is, uh, is about a DEA case, but in the future, you know, obviously the alphabet or the the IRS is one of the alphabet agencies. So it would be fun to to visit a case that they've worked on. What have you learned? Coming seriously, I mean, this, this you can't you don't dive into a project like this and not come out a different person on the other side. Yeah, you know, I have to admit, like one of the things I've learned is just that there is a cynical um, <laughs> aspect to a lot of these federal investigations. That you know, I think a lot of federal agents go in. Um, meaning well, right? I, I don't think any anyone goes to the FBI and says, I want to entrap people in sting operations. But I think one of the things I've learned is that there's a certain bureaucratic evil ex- that exists that once these agents get into the agency, they realize that there are these perverse incentives that I've described and that they end up finding themselves in situations where if they want to move up, they have to get involved in these cases that, that are quite questionable. And I, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, because there isn't enough exposure of what's happening and this is a big part of why we're doing alphabet boys is that like you know you really can't have accountability and um, change and reform unless you understand what the problems are and we're not seeing enough oversight of these agencies by the news media in general and by congress in particular and so with this what we're trying to do is, is reveal to americans how these cases operate not only to tell a good story because we think these are great stories but also just to reveal some of the problems that these agencies have Dude, I'm just so proud of you for doing this. I mean, because it's it's a really good podcast. And and it's just one of those things where I have to sit there many times when I'm driving and I go, could this work on a flat screen TV? Or is it that you guys have mastered the art of theater of the mind? Yeah, theater of the mind is a big part of this, right? I mean, I think that's what there's a certain intimacy to podcasts that like you put on your headphones yep. and you have someone meet like me telling you the story. But then we're also playing you these undercover recordings and you can <laughs> you know bring your mind as if you're sitting at that table as this is happening. And so, you know, I think there's a certain uh, there's a certain benefit to telling these stories in, in audio format. That you know may not exist if we were doing this as a as a docu series on Netflix, yep, for yep, example. Yep. You got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, Trevor. Great, thanks so much for having me. Will you be brilliant today? Okay. You too. Thanks. Bye.